Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Hope does have a name, and it is Jesus Christ, and we honor Him, we worship Him, and we're here to learn this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you take them, turn to Psalm 62. If not, there's some in the seats in front of you, or it's going to be on the screens this morning. And uh, we are excited because we are in the series called Replenish, and a two-week series as we look at what it means to really replenish our souls. If you were here last week, uh, Chris spoke about what it looked like to have a, a Sabbath, an actual day uh, where you rest and you get away from life and everything that it has and just be quiet with God, enjoy your day and your Sabbath. And uh, there was a quote that he had that, that said this, the Sabbath really announces that the world is safely in God's hands. That the world will not disintegrate if we stop our efforts. The world relies on God's promises and not our own efforts. The observance of the Sabbath rest is a break with every effort to achieve, to secure ourselves, and to make the world into our image according to our purposes. And he said, let's take a break and let's replenish our souls and let's hear from God. And here's what I know in life, that if we honor God, um, God will take care of us. If we honor God, God will take care of us. It doesn't mean everything changes, doesn't mean our circumstances change, but it does mean that there is an eternity that is set for us. And one day, God makes everything right, and He is making all things good. And part of that is His way of living. And we believe that there is not only rest for the physical body, but there is rest for your spiritual soul as well. Uh, one of my son's friends is becoming a pilot. His name's Cole. Uh, he, he's 19, 20 now, right? He's 20. And uh, he asked my son if he wanted to go uh, for a flight to Big Bear with him and a couple of his buddies. <clears throat> and when they made the call, I'm pretty much like, I don't even want Cole to drive my son to Big Bear, let alone fly him to Big Bear. <laughs> but they got in a plane and uh, they flew and everything was safe and it was all good. And Cole's becoming a, a great pilot. And uh, there was a story of how some trainees get trained to become a pilot. Uh, their instructor takes them up in a plane, and uh, as the student has control of the plane, um, what the teacher does is he puts a bag over his face, and he takes control of the plane. And he begins to do loop-de-loops. He takes the plane straight up and then straight down, and he begins to stunt pilot. And as he stunt pilots, one of the last things some of them do is they put the plane in what's called a suicide dive, similar to this picture that is going to be on the screens. And as that plane is going on a suicide dive, the instructor rips the bag off the student's face and gives him control of the plane. Anybody want to be a pilot? Yeah. And it's called recovering from an unusual attitude. Recovering from an unusual attitude. And in the chaos and in the discombobulation of the pilot, they are now to try and gain control not only of their mind, but control of the plane. And today, some of you might feel like that, that your life is spinning a little bit out of control. You are dizzy. You have vertigo. Um, you're on a dive, and you're not sure what to do. Well, I think Scripture has something for us today. I think it has something for, for you and for me. As we look at what it means to, I don't think, recover from an unusual attitude, but I actually think as followers of Jesus, those of you in the room who follow him, I think we need to rediscover an unusual attitude. 
What do I mean by that? Well, if you follow the teachings of Jesus, he was countercultural all the time. He went against the grain. He did things that people looked on and made no sense. Yet he knew that there was something that was going to bring a wholeness and a wellness and an abundant life to those who followed him if they followed his way of living. And part of rest is really rediscovering a relationship with God. And honestly, not just rediscovering, but understanding that you can trust him. And that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how do you rediscover this unusual attitude? Well, I think the psalmist uh, in Psalm 62 had some words to bear. And for those of us who are struggling today, um, for those of us who are overwhelmed, for those of us on a nosedive, um, just know that I think there is a way for you to significantly change. Maybe your outer world has grown so much, but your inner world has remained the same, or yes, if you're really honest, it is deteriorating. Maybe your management, maybe your job, maybe your company, maybe everything on the outside is expanding and growing, yet on the inside, if you're honest, you're just kind of shriveling up. We chose the word replenish because we loved its meaning, to make full or complete again as by supplying what is lacking or used up. I love this, to supply with fresh fuel. And we believe that God can replenish your souls today. And I believe this, that living in the rhythm of rest, it actually replenishes your soul and brings rest to the restlessness of your life. That it brings rest to the restlessness of your life. So what did the psalmist have to say in Psalm 62? Here are his words, verse 1. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. And once again, I will not be shaken. The first two verses really describe a holy inactivity, a motionlessness, a waiting and an anticipation of a divine action or a deliverance, that there is a stillness of self as an indication of trust in an almighty God. He comes and theologically, if you think about it, he says what he believes in his his head and in his mind, what he has been taught, what he has learned. He is believing in his mind and he says, truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. He's my rock. He's my salvation, my fortress. I will never be shaken. And so he tells us, this is what I believe. This is what I'm holding on to. So we ask maybe, what is the soul? And I think for all of us to have an understanding and a definition that, that kind of we all uh, agree upon maybe, the soul that finds rest in God, Dallas Willard, says this about the soul. The soul is really the aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is the life center of human beings. 
What is running your life at any given moment is your soul. It's not your external circumstances. It's not your thoughts. It's not your intentions. It's not even your feelings. But he says it's your soul. And so he says, my soul finds rest in God because a soul was made by God, was made for God, and was made for the glory to God. You were not made to be self-sufficient, but to be reliant and an ongoing relationship with your creator. And Dallas says that if your soul is healthy, there is no external circumstance that can destroy you. But if your soul is unhealthy, no external circumstance can redeem you. And he gave a dimension of our lives in four different areas, and it's going to be on the screen. And he said, this is, this is who we are, with our will, our mind, our body, and our soul. The will we love, because for us, we have free will. We get to choose. We get to make choices. But we all know that if we try to restore ourselves by our willpower, we will surely have no power alone to make those decisions and exhaust ourselves and everyone else just by sure will and trying harder and harder and harder. But we have a will, and it is free, and we are free to choose this morning. We have a mind. In the ancient world, the mind referred both to a person's thoughts and their feelings. By how we are conscious of things that are going on with our thoughts and with our feelings. And then there is the body. That's our little kingdom. This is the one place in the universe where our, our tiny wills have a chance to be in charge. Our bodies are our power packs, and we live out through our bodies. They're filled with all kinds of appetites and all kinds of habits, but these are amazing bodies that we have, many of us, but they are not the whole story. They're just a part of the story. And then it is your soul, and the soul is the capacity to integrate all of these into a single life. It is something like a, a computer program, and when it's running well, you don't usually notice it until it actually messes up and you need help. And when the soul is unhealthy, then the rest of the body does not function together. And your will and your mind and your body and your soul, they are disoriented. And they are not at peace with God or with others. And he says that the soul craves harmony and connection with not only God, but with his creation and with his people. And you see, today, the psalmist comes and he says, I have found rest within my soul as I am resting in God. So theologically, this is what he believes, and this is what he is, is, is saying. But then he comes to verses 3 and 4, and now he's put to the test. Theologically, what he believes is now put to the test, and it says, How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies, and with their mouth they bless, but in their hearts they curse. And what he's saying here is all that I have believed now is being put to the test and now I'm being confronted with the circumstances of life on the outside and am I going to believe that God is the same as I thought he was when things were good, when things aren't going so good, when my enemy is trying to take me out and when all the things look like around me that I am going down. He says, am I going to really believe and trust during the test? The interesting thing about the test and the interesting thing about the circumstances of life is God doesn't give you strength weeks and weeks before the test. He actually gives you strength as you go through the test. Many times we look at things after the test and we go, how in the world did I get through that? <laughs> and many of us know when the test comes or the trial comes or the news comes or the information comes to us and we're overwhelmed, we have no idea how we're going to get to tomorrow. But the psalmist comes and says, God... His ways are not our ways. 
And he gives us the strength and the peace and the hope in the midst of the test. And you need to understand that he combats the enemy and he combats your circumstances in different ways than you want to combat them. He's not looking for you to control them. He's not looking for you many times to stand up and fight and defend. He's actually looking for you to be countercultural and live in an unusual attitude and an unusual manner because that's the way our God works. All throughout Scripture, we look and we see how he continually goes against the enemy and he does it in ways that we would never do. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, I've used this illustration before, Jehoshaphat, he was the king of Judah. The Ammonites, the Moabites, and all the other bites were coming against him and they were trying to fight and there was a war. And as the king of Judah, he said, I have no idea what I'm going to do, but my eyes are on the Lord. And as he bowed down, he put his eyes upon the Lord and he began to pray. And the Lord gave him through one of his uh, mighty people, his mighty men, just a, a, a really a vision and said, you need to put out the singers. So think about it. The mighty warriors, you need to go and they need to go onto the front lines and all of them need to start singing. And I don't know if it was because the men couldn't sing and that was going to be really bad, but whatever happened, all the other Oabites and the many other bites came against each other. And Jehoshaphat and his army were spared that day, and all of them lived. You could go to Gideon, who was just hanging out. He was a wine press boy. He was a nobody, and God came to him and said, you're going to lead my children. You're going to bring them into safety. And he said, well, I have 22,000 men. What do you want me to do? He goes, well, I want you to take that number, and I actually want you to cut it in half. In fact, I want you to do more than cut it in half. I want you to go down to 10,000. So Gideon did it. And when the, the numbers went down to 10,000, he goes, I need to give you another, uh, another test. And I want you to take the men from 10,000 to 300. And Gideon now goes down to 300 men. And God said, okay, that's the perfect number. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a pitcher and a torch and a trumpet. The same weapons we would use when we were going to go to battle, right? A pitcher and a torch and a trumpet. And they lit the torch and they banged their pitchers and they blew the trumpets and Everything got confused, and the guys started fighting each other. And Gideon, the dude hanging out in the wine press, was the guy that let him out. If you go to Daniel chapter 2, you'll see there's these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they get thrown into the fire. And they said, we're not going to bow to any other God, but we're going to trust that God has our back. And whatever happens, if we get burned up, we get burned up. But we are trusting God, and they go into the fire, and the king looks in, and he says, I thought we threw three guys in there. And there is a fourth. What I love about that text, it never tells us that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saw the fourth guy. But it said it was a vision of God. And when you're in the fire, you don't see God. And when you're in the fire, you might not even feel or sense God. But I promise you, if you begin to rest in the presence of God and you begin to reflect and trust and believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, when you're in the fire, everybody that's watching you will begin to see God. Because the circumstances are revealing who you really are. And you are a person that either trusts in the Almighty God when it's good and when it's bad, or you're a person that decides, I'm going to take control, and this is mine. And I don't really believe what my mind's telling me that I used to believe, because now everything's changed. And Moses takes the people out of slavery in Egypt one of the greatest scenes in Exodus chapter 14. Can you imagine all of these people? They're free from slavery. You think they would be rejoicing. And most of you know they were just a bunch of complainers and they were worried and they couldn't see to tomorrow. And they come to the Red Sea and here it is. And Pharaoh and his army's coming after them. An awesome scene. And they said, Are you kidding me, Moses? Weren't there any graves in Egypt? Did you bring us out here into the desert to die? And God was with them. 
by this cloud of smoke that was in front of them at night. There was the fire that God would represent to show that he was there. His presence were there. Yet these people put their eyes on themselves on their circumstance and they couldn't get past where they were. And Moses comes to him in Exodus chapter 14. And here's what he says. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord who will bring you that today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see them again. And the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Wait a minute. If I be still, nothing's going to happen. If I be still, I'm going to actually lose ground and I might get killed. If I be still, I'm going to have to trust that you're going to do something, God, and you're going to intervene. And that's what God says. You're never going to see him again. You're going to have to trust me right now. You can't see the Red Sea parting, but I'm about ready to part it. And you only need to be still. See, God's ways are countercultural. But unless you begin to embrace God's ways, you will never know God. And God does say, I am the same. And David comes and he says, I'm in the trial and I'm in the midst of it. And then he gives the answer to what happens in the experience because he has now seen God come through in verse 5 and 6. And here's what he says, yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and he is my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. He was given strength in the midst of the trial and he was given a vision to see that living in the rhythm of rest actually replenishes your soul and brings rest to the restlessness of your life. He goes on in verse 7 and he says, My honor and my, excuse me, my salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. And then he kind of exhorts us, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him. For God is our refuge. When have you poured out your heart to God? When's the last time you got on your knees and the very first thing you did when something came that you had no idea what to do, that you just got on your knees and you just cried out to God? Luke chapter 4, Jesus had just been baptized. It's an amazing scene. After he was baptized and after he'd been teaching and after he'd been working really hard, he was going to go into the, the wilderness to, to pray and rest for 40 days. <clears throat> but it was interesting because right after his baptismal was the time he got tested by the enemy. And Luke chapter 4, the enemy comes and tests him. So for all of you who were baptized, for all of those who accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, for the 115 that were baptized across our campuses on Easter, just know that the enemy's coming after you. And he comes after Jesus and he offers him the temporary when he knew he had the eternal security of his heavenly father. And he offers him the temporary of physical food, of authority, and really conquering death. Think about it. Jesus has all of that already, yet he tempts him. And he says, you need something to eat. You're hungry. And he says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And then he tempts him and he said, look, takes him on the hill and says, look over Jerusalem, look at all, you could have all of this. <clears throat> and I wonder if Jesus just went, I do. <laughs> but it was in the moment, he was saying, is your God, is your father going to be what you think he is going to be? 
Is he going to provide? And in the midst of weakness, we sometimes forget that God is the God that provides. God is the God that cares for us. God is the God that says he has a plan for us. And he calls us to this faithful endurance. And there is a rhythm to this rest thing. And if Jesus did it, and if God on the seventh day rested, which I don't think he probably needed to, but he did it, and maybe it was for us just to say, human beings, here's a pattern here. You need to step back, you need to retreat, and you need to order your life differently. So in our remaining time, how do you do that? Well, three things this morning. First, to have a rhythm of rest, you need to recapture your time. Recapture your time. The psalmist wrote this, chapter 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days. Why is that important? He says, so we can gain a heart of wisdom. The Greeks had, had two definitions for time. Chronos, which is the one we go off of. And it's a time of clock and calendar. Time is a gauntlet. Most of us know it as a time as a march. You clock in, you clock out. We are governed by the clock and we are governed by time. Mark Buchanan says this. Chronos betrays us always. It devours the beauty it creates. We are driven, we are driven. We are racing hard against Kronos, desperately seeking its beauty, but always grasping smoke and ashes and thorns, seeking purpose, yet finding emptiness because there never is enough time. And the second definition is kairos. It's time as a gift or as an opportunity, a season. I love this. Kairos is time pregnant with purpose. See, recovering from an unusual attitude and rediscovering who God is, is to live life as kairos, as a gift, that there is purpose and there is connection with God, but all of that is going to take discipline because your free will, you are the only one that can choose to step back and recapture your time. You are the only one that can make a choice in what you're going to do with your time. You are the only one that can decide if God is the most important thing in your life and then live that out. Craig Michelle said, discipline is the bridge between who you are and who you want to become. And to recapture time, it takes discipline and it takes choices that need to be made. And I can only say, Marty and I walked in <clears throat> uh, from dinner last night. We usually eat dinner together and uh, we say no phones at the dinner table. And you know, see... Every now and then, one of them grabbing a phone and trying to sneak something, and I'm like, are you kidding me? It's 30, 40 minutes. Knock it off. Marty, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. But we went outside, and we ate, because Sophie had a friend over, and they were sitting at the table with Nolan, and when he left, there was conversation. And we come back inside, and all of them had their phones. And nobody was talking, and they're just looking at him like, are you kidding me? And they're like, we had conversation. We really did. And I'm like, yeah. But some of us, man, we're exhausted from the swipe. <laughs> and you got a choice. So what one are you going to make? Because you can rediscover your time as an opportunity, as a season, to rest in God. And to recapture your time. See, to recapture your time, one of your favorite words must be no. Just say it with me. No. Parents, we're really good at no, right? You can say no. 
One of the hardest things in my job um, is to say no. Because all of you have expectations of people in your lives and you have expectations of pastors and that's good. That's not your issue. But in a large church, I look around, I said, I don't, I don't get to do all the things that I actually love to do many times. I don't, get to every, I don't go to every event this church has. I don't even know what every event is. I don't do that many weddings anymore. I don't do that many funerals anymore. My heart broke yesterday because I, I haven't seen someone who is about ready to pass into eternity. And I haven't seen them yet. And I don't go to hospitals. Kent and James do most of that. And I go every now and then. But I have to say no to some things. And that's hard. But I know that for me to be the best that I can be and to have a relationship with God, I can't do everything and meet everybody's expectations of me. Heck, I can't even meet my own expectations of myself. No is your friend to get yourself healthy and in a right place and at rest with God. Say yes to the things that are most important and you're going to have to let some other things go. Recapture your time to understand and know what a Sabbath is. It's not a Jewish thing, it's a God thing. And so you can put margin in your life. You're the only one that can control it. Second thing is renew your mind. Renew your mind. Paul said it like this in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you're going to be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many of you, when you, um, when you drive and you see the yellow light, you speed up? Anyone? Thank you for your honesty. <clears throat> Put that stoplight up. Every time I see a yellow light, I step on it. It's supposed to mean caution, right? It means get through. <laughs> and the yellow light is how I've lived my life. It's how many of you have lived it. It's how I've led. I don't want to go back and relive my 20s. But there are a few moments that I would like to live over. Same for my 30s, same for my 40s. All of us probably have a few of those. There's a few people I like to go back and, um, and slow down for. Because I stepped over them to get to where I wanted to go. And if I'm really honest, I probably stepped on them. And God is teaching me that in life, just like I drive, that yellow is kind of caution. That I not only need to recapture my, my time, but I need to begin to restore my mind and focus on what's important to God. And I need to slow down. I'm not going to change my driving. <laughs> and for those of you who are in the left lane, I've told you before, get out. <laughs> just get out. You drive way too slow. <laughs> but for some of us, God's saying, retreat. 
caution. Take rest. Rick Warren said you're either a conformist or a transformist. You're either conformed to the way of the world and their thinking, or you will be transformed and renewed by the power of the Word of God. And when you're empowered and empowered by the Word of God, then it says, what did it say? You will be able to test. You will be able to understand what the will of God is. His perfect, His pleasing, His good will. Romans 8, 6 says, The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit of God is life and peace. And Jesus comes in John chapter 8 and he says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's nothing like the word of God for transforming power. If I thought that I could change human behavior by laws or by um, really putting policies in place, I would have become a politician. I have zero faith in politics to actually change the greatest problems on our planet. Because you can make all the laws you want in the world, and it's not going to change the heart. You can make all the laws to outlaw racism and bigotry, but no law is going to turn a bigot into a lover of people, all people. Only God can do that. And I've seen God do it. And I have decided to invest my life in the heart-changing business of telling people about Jesus Christ. And he is the only one that can change your heart and my heart. And for every one of us, I ask you, if you want to find rest today, recapture your time, renew your mind. And third, restore your soul. Restore your soul. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. So what do I mean by restore your soul? Well, if you begin to recapture your time, you begin to renew your time, uh, renew your mind in God's word and with God's people, God will begin to restore you. But some of you today are, are led more by your fear than you are by your faith in God. And the enemy has let the fears of life just ruminate in your head over and over again. And for some of you, fear dominates your future. And it haunts you from your past. I just want to encourage you, one of the ways you could restore your soul and begin to walk in faith is that you just begin to write out your fears because as they ruminate, they never go anywhere except in your mind. And the enemy wants you to play that story over and over and over again. And I would just ask you to, to name those fears. And then as you begin to pray to God that he would conquer those fears because you name them and you write them down and you begin to pray over them, God begins to do something to restore you. I had a guy last night, he came back to the first service because he wanted to hear the sermon again. He was a glutton and he came back and, and he said, last night he walked up to me, he just gave me a hug. And he said, you should run for office. That's what he said. <laughs> and I said, that is never happening. <laughs> But he just said he went in and uh, he found out that he had cancer. And he said, fear has just been kind of controlling me. And then he broke down crying and I looked and he just had written down his fears. And he came back and heard it again this morning because he wanted to be renewed. And he said, I'm going to be a person of faith. That I'm going to be still and I'm going to trust God. And in the midst of this right now, I don't know what it's going to be, but I believe that God's got me. 
And for him, he's starting and taking a step. See, when we retreat and we take solitude and we take silence, we're tempted to believe that we are losing control and feel like we're losing traction because we aren't doing anything. And I'm just like you. We want to control outcomes and control strategies. And we need to slow down and let God be in control. Mark 8.36 says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I used to think, maybe like some of you, that that was really talking about if you went after all these things the world has to offer, that if you gave yourself over to that, that eventually that meant that you were going to be in hell and you were going to be separated from God. Dallas Willard says, I don't really think that's the context of this particular scripture. He doesn't believe Jesus was talking about a destination. He really believes that Jesus was talking about a diagnosis. That if you were going and driving and pushing and gathering all these things on the outside and you are expanding your outside world and nothing is going on the inside, you will lose your soul and forfeit it for all the things that seem so important but yet have continually left you empty and heartless. And what he says is, listen, what does it profit you to gain everything on the outside while you're shrinking and dying on the inside? See, as a follower of Jesus, your soul has been saved for eternity. But the question is, will you be prepared for it? Because your soul is being prepared for eternity. So how are you preparing it today? I see some of you in the gym, and we, you know, I enjoy going to the gym. I enjoy being healthy. But these things are, they're just falling apart, right? And we should keep them healthy. It's all good. But when you get 50, it gets a little harder to get out of bed. And some of you are, are, are sore and it's difficult. I had a colonoscopy this week. Yes, I have arrived. It's awesome. But I can go to the gym three times a week. Awesome. What's happening to my soul? Just ask you to consider balancing all of that. Because in your prophet, really, he just comes and says, what are you losing? Farmers in the Midwest used to run a rope from their house to the barn at the first sign of a winter blizzard. They knew the stories of people who had died uh, on their own properties because they had been out farming or working in the barn and they could not make it back to their homes. We don't understand that at all, do we? But from a whiteout, they would, a whiteout, they would die. Parker Palmer, an author, writes this, that the blizzard of the world is the fear and frenzy and deceit and indifference to the suffering of others that separate us from our own souls and our moral bearings. What we need is a rope from the back door to the barn door so we can find our way home again. And he says, when we catch sight of the soul, we can survive the blizzard without losing our hope or our way. Jesus just says, do you got a rope? And I'm the rope. And he says to his disciples, come to me and rest for a while. All you are weary and heavy burden, I will give you rest. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that invitation is for you. Maybe some of you today need to rediscover the unusual attitude and live in a way that is countercultural. Because Jesus is right here, right now, and he is rest for the weary 
soul. There was a poem that said this, I was regretting the past and fearing the future. And suddenly my Lord was speaking, my name is I am. And he paused, I waited, and he continued. And he said, when you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets, it is hard, I am not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with its problems and its fear, it's hard. I'm not there. My name is not I will be. But when you live in the moment, it's not hard. I am here. My name is I am. I am peace. I am hope. I am restoration. I am strength for your weary soul. I am joy for your fainting heart. I am healing for the brokenness in your life. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the great I am. And my soul today and your soul can find rest in him. My prayer is that you would replenish your life to fully live out the abundant life that Jesus talked about, to be complete again to be fueled up and that you would recapture your time, that you would restore your mind and that you would restore your soul and step away and hear God. So this morning as we end this service, we're going to do it a little differently and we're just going to take a moment of silent prayer and for one minute, which is going to seem really, really long to some of you, I'm going to ask you to do two things. The first thing is this. If you'd be willing just to pray, God, help me find rest in you and nothing else. And whatever that looks like for you, if there's a circumstance, if there's a person, if there's an illness, that you would say, God, help me to find rest in this situation and circumstance right now. And then the second is, if you would pray rest over one of our pastors, Jay and Natalie Hewitt, who he goes in for brain surgery May 14th. And for a second time, um, in talking with him this week, his soul is a little worried. So would you pray that they would find rest? Rest for you. Rest for the Hewitts. And then we will come and close the service together. But right now, in this moment, just take the next minute or so if you would bow your heads and pray.
Father, today for some of us, we first probably need to admit that we're just a little restless before we can truly find rest. God, for us to be still when the circumstances of life overwhelm us, it's a difficult thing, and you know that. And so today we just come and we acknowledge that um, we, we all desperately need more of you. And today I pray for the weary soul that there would be rest. I pray for those who have not experienced peace that for this moment they would be still and know that you are God. For those who were hit with news like the young man last night, cancer has hit his body, that God, you would fill each of them with a peace and a strength. For those who are transitioning jobs or looking for a new one and unsure of their future, God, would you be their hope today that you've got them and you're with them. And Father, for us in this place, May we truly understand as we watch the world and the, the chaos and, and maybe even our own lives who are in a downward spiral that, spiral that we need to rediscover this unusual attitude and this way of living that was just a little bit different than what the world tells us. My God, we would step back, we would retreat, and we would find rest for our weary souls. So I pray encouragement, I pray strength, I pray peace is we go about our week. And I pray that today, for this day, that God, you would help some of us maybe just to start a new rhythm so that we can begin to combat the restlessness that's in our life. So may we be like the psalmist and say, our faith and our trust and our foundation is in God, that we will be people that will not be shaken. And so this morning as we close, may we just sit and may we hear and may your word just kind of come over us that we were still and we understood in this moment that you are God, the great I am, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's in that powerful name I pray these things. Amen.